0: This is Resist and Renew,
1: a UK-based podcast about social movements,
0: what we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are...
1: Me, Kat.
0: Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, welcome to the first episode in the Resist and Renew podcast. Today we are going to be talking about abolishing prisons in the UK and we are happy to be joined by Kelsey from Cape. So a little bit about Kelsey. Kelsey is a prison abolitionist, organiser and freelance facilitator based in London and is part of Community Action on Prison Expansion which is a network of grassroots groups fighting prison expansion in England, Wales and Scotland. Prior to covid Kelsey has been traveling the UK and abroad delivering workshops and trainings to build collective power in resisting and dismantling the prison industrial complex. Kelsey is also part of Cradle, a transformative justice collective, and also happens to be part of Resist and Renew, which is why we're interviewing her first. Thanks for joining us, Kelsey.
3: Thanks for inviting me. We had uh, to. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Um, I know Sammy is dying to jump in straight into things But before we do that, uh, just a little note to say This episode is going to be slightly different to our future episodes In that normally there will be two hosts But because this is the first one, we're all just excited to jump in So all three of us, myself, Ali, Sammy and Catherine or Kat Will be here and uh, you can hear a bit more about us as people in our teaser If you haven't listened to that
0: now is the time to get into it? Yeah. I think it is. Okay, so to kick us off, Kelsey, could you tell us a bit about the context that you're organising in with CAPE? Like, why is it that you chose this work specifically? Um,
3: thank you for that question. I guess, uh, well, so I, I'm a prison abolitionist, which means that... Um, I fundamentally uh, don't think that our society needs or should have prisons or policing or function um, with these systems of punishment um, and uh, but it also means that uh, I look critically at um, what violence itself means and and so I include state violence within like that analysis. Um, and so I kind of came to this work first through doing feminist anti-violence um, organizing and through that kind of began to further understand the role of the criminal justice system in uh, the supposed support that survivors receive, um, uh, particularly in this country. And uh, yeah, and I basically got involved in a local campaign um around Holloway Prison, which is a campaign that, uh, really shows like so many intersections, I think of this work where it was the biggest women's prison in Western Europe. Uh, it was closing down. It was closed in, uh, 2016. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all of the people who are held in that prison were actually released. It means that they were just shipped off to different prisons around the country. And in fact, Holloway, uh, because it was the only women's prison that's actually really in London, you know, it's in Islington. And so uh, many people who were held there were actually still quite close to their communities. It's much easier for people to visit a prison in London than one in rural Surrey or, or elsewhere around the English countryside, right? And so um, it the kind of... Uh, impact that that has on a community um, and the way that that is actually tied to what do they want to use that land for and where is that money going to go, right? And so upon learning a bit more about that um, and that uh, campaign, realising that this is very much tied to gentrification, like they want to use that land for maximum profit with luxury flats, Um uh while the community really wants to have more social housing, you know, Islington is a is a borough that has over ten thousand people on the council housing list. Um we know that uh the money that um was gonna be made from that site uh you know originally was planned to just go into building more prisons and so it didn't feel like uh this was going to be a positive move in any direction, basically. Um, and it just really started to help me connect a lot of the dots in learning from lots of the people organising around that issue and, and on connected issues. And so um, while I you know, I have family who is in the US and is impacted by the criminal justice system um, and have seen how that system has worked uh, to impact their lives and, and the communities over there, um, first hand uh, and started to really see from that moment kind of how it was and how it was acting out like in in london and, and in this place that i wasn 't quite quite as familiar with you know and so basically got involved in the work here realized that um at the same time as they were closing Holloway Prison, they are announcing that uh, for the first time the Prison Estate Trans- Transformation Programme, which, uh, w- which is a government scheme basically to build 10,000 new prison places, uh, originally by 2020, none of those prisons have been built yet so far, which is great news for us. Um, However, uh, you know, that, that is still very much their intention, and they have re-announced that plan in various forms. You might remember last summer, Boris was like, we're going to build 10,000 new prison places. Well, those were plans well, they were already like on the way. And then now, um, with COVID and the kind of economic um, recovery scheme project Speed, um, now these prisons have been tied up in that as part of a way to... Um, in some way uh bolster the economy um uh yeah um but i mean i don't even really know what the logic is and how they've managed to tie that to be honest but essentially um they just keep re-announcing these same prisons and two of them are in the process of being built in the midlands um and one of them has uh been approved through like sort of one set of planning permissions with the local council in East Yorkshire um and then the others are sort of still uh in the process potentially um one two or three more depending on what they can what they can manage essentially and so and and so basically Cape uh is an organization that tries to connect with people local to these new prison sites um, and to support the collective power and campaigning um, to resist those sites. Not because um, only people local to a prison will be um, impacted by that prison. Um, People get moved from prisons across the country and end up very incredibly far away from home. Um, It's not that you end up just local to you, uh, but because uh, the legacy of community organizing that we follow um, has found strategically that uh, organizing with communities local to disrupt things like planning permission and environmental impact assessments and sort of uh, connecting with the people who actually live, uh, close by to prison sites is a really, um, strong strategic move. And also because obviously they're often people who will also be impacted and feel strongly about, about these things. And so we're not, we're not there to just fly in and be like, this is what we think. Um, so yeah, we've been doing that, uh, since, um, sort of 2016, um, focusing on these mega prisons that they're trying to build around the country, um, as well as uh, other iterations of prison expansion. So that means uh, new types of uh, prisons for young people, which they're now calling secure schools. They want, they're want they trying to open one of those up in Kent at the moment, um, as well as plans for... Um, What would be women's prisons but are being called women's residential centers uh, which are following a slightly different kind of model um, but are still prisons
2: yeah thanks for that overview it's really good to get a picture of like what the current situation here is in the UK in regards to like expansion I feel like it's something that I hear about every now and then like I remember hearing about big plans for a a prison in, in mega prison in Wrexham, I think it was. And yeah. Then yeah. it kind of went quiet after a while, so it goes off off my radar. So it's good to get touched back in on that. Um, I had a question around, yeah, like the context specific to the UK, because like you mentioned America mm-hmm. and you mentioned like friends, family and other organizers you're in touch with there. And I feel like the US is like the example for abolitionists mm-hmm. like – prisons are bad in america the police kill people more violently with guns and stuff and i just want to know like what's specific to prison context in the uk
3: Mm, yeah i think often when we talk about prisons we often uh people kind of get by by being like well at least we're not america you know and like (laughs) oh like Mm. that's where they and they do that with racism too right and they try and kind of like say that these these are things that are are less of an issue as if they aren't issues that were actually created by the british um (laughs) and in many ways uh um yeah uh things that were exported to the u.s in in their original forms um and what i mean by that is that so in the uk or Well, so in England and Wales has its own prison system and Scotland has its own devolved um, criminal justice system. Um, However, many of their laws and kind of like the conditions and and such are very similar. Um, It's unfortunate that we compare ourselves to America because we have a very different population in the UK as well. Like, so... um, We actually have uh, a very white population, you know, and like particularly if you look at Scotland, we know that people of colour are maybe like 2% of the population. Even so, we know that so in England and Wales, the the overall population of uh, black and brown people is like around 10%, uh, maybe up to 12%. um, and uh the prison population is about twenty five percent so we know that that's hugely disproportionate, and it's about similarly like double disproportionate in in Scotland as well. We also know that we have the highest death rate in Europe when it comes to prisons, the highest rates of um, self harm and violence and um, these kinds of these kinds of things, so the conditions are are much worse. We have more people in um Solitary confinement, uh, but obviously we just have fancier words for that um, and uh, we yeah, all kinds of different ways, and so you know that doesn 't even include our detention system, you know where we 're actually also imprisoning a huge amount of black and brown people um, in very similar conditions for for these uh, kinds of offenses and and what we 're seeing in fact, something that I really want people to think about is the the recent news around Morton Hall, which is an immigration detention center. Um, that was announced that it is closing, which which again sounds like a big win, but actually is going to be turned into a prison for foreign nationals um, which to me sounds like a detention centre, you know, and so um, I think what we need to really think about when we think about things like crime is that these concepts will change in order to control, surveil and um, cage uh, black and brown people and so the The people are the criminals, regardless of what they 've done you know and and that's kind of that's kind of the perspective that we 're coming out from it and and conversations that we're having with um with other people within the migrants rights um movement around kind of messaging that's been put forward around who are the real criminals and these kinds of things and actually how we've potentially shot ourselves in the foot by not um <laughs> by not actually kind of thinking about the ways that these reforms will be taken in order to to use criminality against us. Hmm. Um, Something else, just as another thing that's really important, um, I think for us to think about is the way that COVID has been policed, right? The way that actually like on the streets, the policing in the UK is really extreme. And we know that the harassment um, that particularly young black men experience is hugely disproportionate and that that was even more so during covid and during lockdown um, and that unfortunately we have a culture here where um, there are a lot of people who will call the police on people who are uh, um, breaking rules around lockdown and such rather than maybe just speaking to them themselves or potentially you know just speaking to the people that are close to them making sure that they are abiding by the rules and are able to abide by the rules rather than uh, you know just calling the cops on each other um, and I really want to something I've been thinking about a lot recently is this kind of uh, approach to to public health through um. a criminal justice lens um and the ways that they've just tried to like police this virus away the way we even moved from stay home to stay alert um and and so policing is so ingrained in in this and in the culture here um, and yeah. And the final point on that is to make that connection to in comparison to the u s where we can really see uh, a ah. sorry my dog um, we can really see a uh, a very clear linear um, transition of um, colonizers to um, people who were enslaving other people to um the policing of, um, free people and the continued like exploitation of labor that happened on U S soil. But here we, we don't have that same kind of legacy on this land, but it just happened in the colonies. And so I think the British is very good at kind of pretending that they are better, um, because, uh, it's less kind of like visible. Um, and you, you know, like, having visited the south and and kind of like you can feel it in in the like land you know that like so much violence and and all of this has happened and that people like have lived that legacy where their own people were enslaved on that land and it's much more similar to how it feels like in a formerly colonized country um Compared to in Britain, where they just kind of like outsourced all of that labor, and we're kind of like that's all happening over there, and we'll keep our hands clean over here. Um, So I just want to kind of like think about that. And uh, if we look at the UK prison population, we know that it skyrocketed; it it increased massively at the same time as we see the Windrush generation, we see an influx of Black and Brown migrants um, during the sixties and seventies, and that's when we start seeing more detention centers and more prisons and more police on the streets it's very clear to me like what that line is and and how that kind of um yeah how that's all worked sorry i know i've gone over time i could talk about this for hours so you're lucky
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean if only this were an interview where we wanted you to talk a lot
3: um i think so go like
0: i think one just one a quick thing to throw in is, sure. like, in terms of the COVID policing stuff for people that aren't aware, there's a group called um, NETPOL, the Network for Police Monitoring, who are doing a, like, kind of, like, policing the crisis a series yeah. of reports and updates and stuff. So definitely a thing to check out for people if they're not aware of it and they haven't seen it. Um Thank But you. I, I think the uh, question that uh, came to me, part of some of the things you were saying, because you were mentioning around, like, CAPE is, like, community... Um, Community Action Against Prison Expansion, I never remember which the A is. Uh, It's
3: whatever you kind of want, you know, it's campaigns against prison expansion, (laughs) communities against prison expansion, community action on prison expansion, whichever one fits Mm. the acronym for you, whatever you feel pulled towards.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, But the one thing that everyone agrees on is the P stands for prison. But what, what you have been coming back to in terms of what you're saying is you've been talking about prisons in terms of what I think a lot of people think of when you say prison, but you've also been talking about secure schools. You've been talking about immigration detention centres, removal centres, whatever anodyne word the state gives them. Like, yes. so to you, what do you like when you talk about prison expansion? Like, what does that mean? Cause it sounds like it's broader than what a lot of people would think prison refers to.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, It is obviously the prisons themselves, but any other form of incarceration um, or caging. And so that includes whether it's for immigration offences or whether it is under the Mental Health Act, um, any sort of uh, unconsensual... um, ways that they put people in cages uh I don't think is okay and um I think is like a fundamentally flawed way of like addressing any issues and causes a lot more harm in and of itself even if that's a really nice cage right and even that you know like even if it's got your playstation or your nice sofa or whatever it is that they're doing now um it's still the isolation and the impact that it has on your mental health, um, and on communities having people removed like that. Um, it doesn't work. And so, yeah, um, we're thinking about secure schools, which are, um, a partnership between the ministry of justice and the department for education. And so they will be housing people who are 12 to 17. They will be there like who, you know, under criminal charges, um, but it will be a much more palatable thing, even though it's going to be in the same building as a secure training centre was, which is what, uh, you know, they just put in some new paint on the walls or whatever, um, changing the curriculum up a little bit, but it's not... Um, it's not dealing with the root of the issue, you know? And so and so that's the same. And uh, equally, types of prison expansion, such as these kinds of reforms that um, would involve expanding existing prisons. So a while ago, there was uh, ideas for maybe, like, tran- transgender wings and stuff, um, these kinds of things, or maybe a non-binary prison in Scotland, uh, these kinds of reforms that <laughs> are, like, an attempt to... Uh, uh, yeah you know this kind of like progressive uh, yeah criminal justice work that that doesn't actually um understand that the prison itself for example like violently reinforces the gender binary the state puts mm. the gender on a person and like that in itself like we know that anyone who is in any way gender non-conforming experiences more violence at the hands of screws um uh, in prison as well, and so uh they're not the friends of anyone who is is trans or gender nonconforming, right? Um, the one thing so, that I want yeah. as a as
0: a non-binary person is obviously for safety in the UK. It's definitely nothing around like trans exclusionary narratives promoted in the press. It's a trans it's a trans prison. That's what I yeah. want. That's yeah. what makes me feel safe. It's
3: it's, it's the prison. Yeah, Ugh. exactly. Um, uh, so those kinds of reforms, uh, w- <laughs> yeah, which we just shout down um, immediately, because <laughs> um, um, if they build them, they will fill them. You know, mm. like there is no need to build separate things for uh, for more marginalized people. There is no there is no way that that will work out well for anyone. Mm. Love it
1: okay there's a lot thank you for sharing like all all of the context and giving us some background about what's going on um oh there's a more there's more go for it yeah go on <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll, get, I'll, I'll kick myself if I sp- speak about expansion. I don't speak about expansion that's not just about caging, I suppose, because we also talk about the ways that the prison industrial complex is expanding into our communities. And in fact, that's another way that it's getting co-opted. I spoke about those women's residential centres. As opposed to the mega prisons, which will be these giant prisons for over a thousand people with big workshops and enough to have like large labor forces um, being exploited within them, the uh, prisons for uh, people that the state deems women um, will be smaller, maybe like twelve beds um, closer to communities um, and yet still kind of within this narrative of like oh well because people who end up in women's prisons need support once they've been criminalized then you can access your addiction support and then you can access your domestic violence support and then you can you know all these kinds of things rather than like I don't know not criminalizing people in the first place um and also like the idea that they're putting them in communities just makes me very worried because how integrated are we talking are we talking about moving kids into there now are we talking about you know like what happens to families still uh, yeah um you know, it's it's not it's not a path that's that's any good to me. But also, um, these kind, but yeah, so these kinds of narratives around care also mean that then more people are getting uh, tagged, so they're getting ankle tags or are on probation and parole, and that means that they are still being policed within their communities. They're still massively restricted from living their lives and making choices like for themselves, right? Um, and uh you know you're still gonna have social services in and out of your home um and still uh potentially not be able to live with your kids or these kinds of things but also like curfews and these kinds of things that can really impact your ability to work um or just like you know continue having your community and stuff so the ways that the police and this policing is like ending up within communities is also important to acknowledge that it's not enough to to just let people out, it's a, it's the whole system needs to be um, removed from our communities.
1: Yeah, thanks for giving that background and yeah telling us the context. Um, I think yeah we're going to move on a bit to to talk more about like what are the actions that you're working on um, and the the work that Cape is kind of focusing on now um, and if you could share a little bit about that and maybe why um why why this this work and um, that you're choosing to focus on at the moment um, so in Cape we
3: are always balancing these constant tensions um as I feel a lot of a lot of um, groups are where it feels like everything is on fire and also like this is still not really an issue that is kind of like very like widely sort of understood or um cared about I guess like in in the way that that we feel it needs to be. Um, or at least people don't necessarily have an outlet to know what to do with, with their feelings around prison expansion um, and, and new prisons. And so, uh, yeah, there's, there's these constant things of like, like I said, two of these prisons are being built in the Midlands. And so we are, we're, working on building our connections in those areas. And, you know, there were some actions taken last summer um, and potentially, allegedly, there could be further actions taken. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, depending on, on kind of like, yeah, what's possible, Um, as those, as those go forward, but also we're in a, in a moment of really thinking about how we, um, build the group and how we kind of, uh, do some like deep political education in the UK at the moment to to help people understand kind of like what the specifics are of the UK exactly how the prison industrial complex is, is built within within this state and uh, and all of these connections because it's so deep um like deeply connected and entwined in so many systems here in terms of uh the domestic violence systems and sexual violence systems uh in education in housing and social care in health care um immigration all of these things um and it's yeah it's tied to so many things i guess and and i think that um, at the moment, we have some awareness around things like stop and search um, and some around deaths and custody for sure. But I'm not sure that people are necessarily making that connection around like, you know, they're not going to stop stopping and searching people in marginalized communities if they've built more prisons because they need to fill those prisons. So like they're going to be wanting to make more arrests. Um, and so... It really it was like part of that uh trajectory i think and if we can resist the the not just like the capacity to cage people but also change the narrative of where our resources should be going you know like mm-hmm. for me it, how does it make sense in the recovery from covid when what we've learned is that there is no housing for all of the people who are houseless during this time that there wasn't anywhere for all the people that should have been let out of prison even by public health england and the ministry of justice's own estimations during this pandemic it wasn't enough housing Housing supposedly for those people rather than build more housing they want to build more prisons for me these kinds of things I think we need to it's tied so much to the austerity narrative and to these other kinds of uh, agendas that the government has um, that uh, yeah I think it's, um, it's just important I've kind of lost my my steam there <laughs> <laughs>
2: it was good steam while it lasted good yeah um, to pull it back a bit, uh, you were talking about the Midlands and, like, building relationships up there. Yes. Um, can you talk us through a bit about how you go about building those relationships and whether there are, like, challenges around, like, getting over narratives around prisons being, like, there to protect us uh, in people's heads? Or is it, like, people are just raring to go and, like, are abolitionists already up there? What's, what's, what's it like building relationships?
3: Um, so... We've connected to to people who are sort of like, you know, I guess like lots of stuff can end up being very London-centric and Cape has been quite good at um, actually for a long time having people who were based all over the country and we did quite a lot of online organising sort of Um, pre-COVID. But we also really used to make the effort to travel and go see each other and hold workshops in the places that... um, yeah hold workshops talks and and try and uh do local outreach to to, like, raise awareness around the around the fact that a new prison was being built and then to, to get people's opinions and figure out what issues and what are the values that are important in those different areas. So uh, one of the prisons that isn't being built, that has been rejected, uh, was going to be in South Wales in Port Talbot. Um, and similarly to the East Midlands, that's an area where, you know, there are a lot of jobs lost and a lot of... Um, A lot of people being sold the idea that a prison will bring jobs uh, to the area, but um, in connecting to that's the values that um, people have in that area, that's their priorities is around jobs, okay, well, uh, the reality of a prison is that actually it's going to bring more jobs to the or more work to the people who are imprisoned within that prison than actually working as staff in that prison. That's going to be maybe 100 people or something. It's not actually going to be that many um, compared to the 1,000 people that they're going to be working inside. How about, like, the, the campaign was very strong because uh, the community came together to sort of... Uh, to say, we want jobs, but not these jobs, you know? And and that kind of thing can be really powerful. So it's it's about connecting with the with the values of the local area and what's important to people. It's not necessarily an abolitionist perspective always that comes through in those campaigns for sure. Um, but it's a start, you know, and it starts people really thinking about like, what else could we use that money for? And that's, that's definitely something we've learned from, from comrades in the US fight toxic prisons and and groups like that who've done really strong things in terms of connecting to both people inside prisons and outside in terms of what are your priorities and what would you rather see this money go to is a great way to kind of win win people around when you're like Mm. this is going to be a hundred million pounds on this thing (laughs) you know like what would your town do with that you know like that is a big question for people that that does connect you know so Mm.
0: yeah. I love this really getting into like those tensions that are just always so present in terms of like when you're getting more into community organizing about like how you uh, maintain your values as an organization whilst also trying to like get effective victories, um, which uh, leads on to a thought around, because we've talked a bit about like uh, CAPE the work that you do as an organization, the projects you've got going on at the moment. It'd be really helpful if you could talk a little bit about like how you live those values, like you mentioned, like abolition, abolitionist values, I guess, in terms of the work that your organization does, either external or internal. Like, how do you organize it in abolitionist way within yourselves how do you make sure you represent that kind of vibe going outside hope it's not a uh, prescriptive to apply that abolitionist label to cape given that it sounded like you did Maybe I <laughs> um no that's absolutely
3: fine i think um <clears throat> abolition is something that we're always striving for right like we are all products of this world um that is not an abolitionist one and so we are in no way perfectly doing it i am in no way perfectly living an abolitionist life i'll come clean about that right now um (laughs) but (laughs) uh, we all live in this horrible capitalist society unfortunately however we do try to do the as they call it what is it pre-figurative politics Mm. thing um which is where you try to live your politics uh to the best of your ability right so we uh try to organize non-hierarchically um we try to look after each other we just try to really you know these tensions that I spoke about is like a lot of us come to this work from a deeply personal place and a lot of us are people who already live on the margins and working with a lot of people of color a lot of trans and non-binary people and so um We've all got our shit going on, our own mental health, our own like um, personal stuff as well, as the way that the work itself impacts us. And so um, learning to balance the way that a lot of us feel super, super urgent about this with also understanding that this is long-term work, that the... PIC was not built in a day and we actually will not be able to dismantle it all in a day um and so something might feel super urgent but then if the capacity isn't there that we have to get better at kind of like you know processing that and like dealing with things in like a slower sort of way we have all of these conversations and we are like getting better at all of those things I think and we're there for each other in like a yeah an emotional and sort of um often physical way if needed, like around sort of resisting arrests or resisting yeah, uh, other kinds of like invasions by the state. Um, it's about showing up for each other, um, being active bystanders, not just for people in the group, but strangers and our neighbours and things like that. Uh, trying to do that political education work as well and kind of like in the spaces that we're in, often ending up somehow organising or educating people um as we do this work you know like part of this is uh yeah leading with kind of like connecting with people on their values and then and then yeah we all kind of like people's politics like transition as they also enter these spaces you know um so giving people the the understanding and stuff that they they need I think is a big part of this um I guess in sort of, like, practical ways. Yeah, it's these, like, ways of showing up for each other, trying to support each other when we do uh, workshops and talks and actions, um, having a lot of, like, feedback culture and some, like, ritual and stuff ingrained into our into our stuff to, like, build collectivity and, and these kinds of things. Can uh, I jump in
0: there and ask you to just... Dis- you, you said rituals. I love a good ritual. Could you talk a little bit more about any, like, rituals you do have within your group, if it's not, like... Uh sharing, Super secret. s- sharing secrets sharing um, secrets
3: it's i I guess I won't like share specifics, but uh it'll be it's just things about how you set the space when you are together, you know and like little um we have like a fun kind of uh a game that we play at the beginning of meetings that's supposed to sort of like engage your imagination a bit and make us think about this world like beyond prisons um to tap into kind of like where we're at. Um, that day um we have these kinds of things that, that, yeah, I'm trying to like build in that like feedback culture and stuff. So every time you're like coming away from a thing, um, having these rituals of like how you check in about things or whatever, which become little games and, you know, kind of take the heaviness out of it a little bit sometimes. Um And it get, makes it easier to say no if you're not in the mood as well. We were just like, not now. Like you can kind of just be like, don't say that thing right now, you know, like, and it's quite, um yeah it's it kind of I don't know it brings a bit of lightness and stuff to it which I think is something we all need when we're talking about prisons all the time
1: yeah I love that idea as well of having that space to sort of dream a bit into beyond prisons and like what is what are we actually imagining this world will look like um and I guess like that comes up for me a bit when I have these sorts of conversations with friends who um around prisons who basically reply with like well what's the alternative like people do bad things this is the system that we've got therefore that's fine um so I'm kind of wondering if you could just maybe share a little bit more about some of the alternatives that are being dreamt up um and that are also existing in some of these spaces already
3: yeah um I guess that's uh partly why me and some uh friends decided to create cradle um which is like a group that focuses more on the transformative justice work um and feels like generally more hopeful like more experimental more creative um and uh yeah and i think that you know there is there is lots of um of great work happening in sort of like pockets. Um, I've learned a lot from the way that Sisters Uncut organize and the ways that they've um, taken a lot of those transformative justice principles and like ingrained them into the ways that they organize and also create spaces. Um, And uh, with Cradle, what's been really cool was before COVID we uh, were hosting these monthly dinners for black and brown people who do sort of anti-state violence work and that was just like a social space it wasn't an organizing space um it was where we have you know obviously like things will come up and people end up sharing and strategizing informally but it was more it was just a space for like joy and like good music and really good food um and and these kinds of things and those are usually the most imaginative spaces for me um mm. that's where we we have even sometimes in a almost comical way but in a wistful way of we I remember having a a conversation about what how great the apocalypse would be afterwards because then we'd be able to just start again um <laughs> <laughs> um we're like all oh, yeah and that was before covid which is it's not been that great i guess but um you this, know this is what these, you get. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. And um, I guess, uh, yeah, these kinds of spaces where we can like have fun and connect and and all of that feels feels transformative in and of itself. But yeah, we uh, we have uh, been sort of like holding spaces to explore explore these alternatives of how we even transform these relationships that we have or how we build relationships that are not based around punishment or um competition or uh yeah all these other kinds of things that capitalism teaches us and like how we actually build trust in um in different relationships and how we um yeah kind of yeah kind of exploring different things um which i think has been great spaces for for just, like, more hopeful work and sort of more reflective mm. work that we often don't really get to do. Um, but I also really like the practical stuff, like de-escalation trainings and bystander intervention trainings and things like that, because often people are like... I think what what the criminal justice system actually does um, is it... Because it exists, it makes everyone feel like they can't do anything. And it's the same with mental health institutions. And it's the same with, you know, the fact of psychiatrists existing means that other people are like, oh, I can't help my friend's mental health needs. And I think that um, professionalism and, and all of these things, as well as like just these ideas of punishment, kind of mean that we we are disempowered in these ways that, um, actually we have a lot of skills in our communities and we actually do a lot of these things naturally or have done when we've had to. And so tapping into that and doing it more intentionally and consciously rather than relying on, um, these other systems, uh, yeah. Sort of like just opening space for people to do that. Like what's been funny about this work is that, um, and we, We spoke about transformative justice recently, Sammy, and I was saying this, but like, we're just winging it, you know? Like. It's that, like, it's not something that you're, like, really qualified in. It's something that, like, you draw from, like, your lived experiences and your reading and your are um, speaking to people. And actually, you just open space for people to tap into the skills that they already have and to tap into the skills that they they want to learn. And then it's like, OK, so people over here have been doing it this way. Now I know that that exists. Let me think about what it would take for me to learn how to do that. And just knowing that other people are taking it up upon themselves um, really, like, gives people license, I think, to start doing it. And, yeah, that's something that I find really great about Transformative Justice. And that's what we did on on this tour last summer, is, like, all across the South was just move from place to place, just being, like this is what they're doing over there. And then they'd be like, cool, let's try and do something like that here. Or that's why that exactly wouldn't work. But what we have is here is this. And like, it would just, yeah, it was this great way of just like building all these collective skills that people are doing often in isolation. And actually thinking about that, that collective skill set is, uh, is something that I think makes it feel very possible, you know? Mm. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. That's definitely something I can vibe with, and I was doing some reading earlier today as part of the Abolitionist Futures reading group stuff, and it was about ending violence in our communities, and the beginning part was just so massive, I was feeling really overwhelmed by like all the different aspects which needed to be done, and I was like, oh god, I can't do all this stuff, and community organizing and transform the system and but then later in the article they kind of broke it down into like some people are gonna be healers some people are gonna be educators and i was like oh okay like i don't have to do everything but i can do some of these things (laughs) and these are things already like so that's great um yeah yeah so that kind of leads me on to the last question that we like to end this podcast on which is kind of like If someone's been listening and is feeling inspired to get involved in, like, abolitionist work or campaigns against prison expansion, what should they do? How can they get involved in that kind of stuff?
3: Um, I mean, I think those reading groups um, are really great. The Abolitionist Futures ones and the Black Abolitionist reading group and all of those readings are online and stuff. I think sort of, like, taking control of doing your own learning and all these kinds of things is, like, really important and uh, a great first step um but uh yeah i think basically there will be i just wish i had like a date to plug but there will be if you follow cape community action on prison expansion or no more prisons on instagram is also what we call which is simpler um yes please if you could share these in the show notes mm. um uh then um there's yeah we're trying to like there are things brewing um to get more people involved in the fight against prison expansion there will be events uh for political learning but also planning and thinking about how in your local areas you can like start a group that's against prison expansion um and you know starting to create toolkits and stuff so uh, that's all coming so follow us on social media Sign. there is a petition but I just really hate plugging petitions but it's, it is important to do that too um, but there is a petition if you just don't want them to build prisons you can sign that that's a great first step um, to get as many people to show that they don't want that as, as possible um, and yeah I think that's most of the things email us if you want to get involved basically <laughs>
2: A massive thank you to Kelsey for being our first guest on the podcast from Community Action on Prisoner Expansion. If you want to check out more about Cape, uh, you can find them at cape-campaign.org. They are at No More Prisons on Instagram and Cape Expansion on Twitter. This week we've also had music from Jack Light with his song Right to Say, which you can find on Spotify. And if you want to find out any more about Resist Renew as a facilitation and training collective, we're at resistrenew.com and on all the other socials. And if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, we have a donate page on our website, where you can donate via PayPal. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you next week. Bye-bye.